Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 4. We uh, got up to uh, verse 20 and 21 last week, and that's where we'll start again this week. But uh, there's a daunting and difficult task that I absolutely dread, and luckily it's not something that I've had to do uh, frequently, but uh, that is writing a job resume. I cannot stand writing a job resume. It's daunting for someone like me. Um, I don't like to write about myself, and I'm not much of a salesman. Uh, if I was, our children would be starving. Uh, we wouldn't have any money. We'd uh, be quite poor. And uh, you've heard people that could sell ice to Eskimos. I don't even know if I could sell ice to someone trying to make an iced tea. Um, I'm not much of a salesman. I'm not uh, forceful. I'm uh, not necessarily strategic with my words and and uh, selling myself or anything like that. And and we turn now to a passage which seeks to be able to unpack and give us a bit of a explanation of Solomon's reign uh, during his uh, tenure as king of uh, Israel and Judah. And uh, that's what exactly what this section of First Kings does. Uh, before it turns to uh, the next major portion, which looks at his major accomplishment during his reign, and that is uh, the building of the temple. And so what we here see is, is somewhat of a, a template, uh, a resume, you might say, of Solomon's reign. You might also say that it is a little bit of an extended version of First Kings chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, where um, the Lord speaks to um, Solomon and says, Behold, now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no king shall compare with you all your days." And that's basically what we see in this passage that we're looking at tonight from verse 20 to 34 is we see that unpacking of how God uh, also gives to him these things that he promised, not only wisdom, but also uh, riches and honor. So the first thing that we see in this uh, section tonight is the extent of Solomon's kingdom and his dominion. So the extent of Solomon's kingdom and dominion. We see that in verse 20 to 21. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over the kingdoms of the, from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. And then again in verse 24. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates from Tipsha to Gaza and all over the west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. And we mentioned this uh, briefly last week, but this is really what we're seeing as the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that many years before, um, you know, depending on how you, you date that, probably, you know, over 800 years prior to this. Here, uh, the Lord swore to Abraham uh, in 
Genesis chapter 15, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Catamonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and uh, the Rephaim. And here you see this extent of Solomon's reign and his kingdom, that this is the broad section and this is the largest that uh, Israel would ever be. Uh, the largest span of geographical area. Uh, David's reign in his kingdom was quite large, but it, under Solomon it is the largest that you ever see. And what you see there is Solomon's dominion extending from the river Euphrates. The, the Hebrew literally just says the river. This uh, great dividing space here. The east land of the Philistines to the west, this vast territory was all underneath his control. Uh, he had uh, peace on all sides. He was wise enough to be able to relate to all people around him, to be able to make some treaties, agreements. We'll see this uh, next week as we look at chapter 5. But here, the kings around him, uh, he's, he's at a time of peace. And it's, it's a great thing to be able to have a great large land, geographically speaking, it's quite an accomplishment, but to be able to keep that and have that as an area that peace surrounds you on all sides is quite another accomplishment, to be able to take that. And, and here, Solomon's reign is characterized just with that, that is peace and stability, which allowed him to expand this dominion and to be able to keep it as well. Actually, that's really, there's a play on words there when you think about Solomon and Shalom, uh, as peace. There's these two overlapping words that they both mean similar things. So we see the extent of Solomon's reign and, and the dominion and the realm in which he rules is quite a vast, broad one. We saw this somewhat in, in Psalm 72 when we looked at this, that here uh, you have the king's son, the royal son, and, and having possession of a large realm. But the second thing we also see in this passage is the extent of Solomon's wealth. We see this in verse 22 and 23. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. And then again in verse 25, And Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan even to Beersheba, every man was under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. And this is exactly what the Lord said that he would give to him. I will give you also what you have not asked for, riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare to you all of your days. Now, for us to be able to read this, we, you know, this means next to nothing to us when we read about all these cores of fine flour, these fattened oxen, uh, what it means to have gazelles and roebucks and, and fattened fowl. It, it's hard to compare them, but maybe just for a little bit of a perspective, a core was a measurement of volume used in this, this time period. Roughly about, I don't know, 220 liters or five bushels. So Solomon's provision of 30 cores of the finest flour would be about 6,600 6, 6, liters or about 150 bushels of flour per day. Okay. So in today's market, depending on how you price flour and what that is and the comparative nature of that, it could be close to, you know, 600 to $2,000 worth of flour each day. 
And then you move to the meat and what that looks like, you know, 20 pasture-fed cattle. Uh, I guess you guys probably would know a little bit more about how much a cattle uh, would go for per head and what that would look like, been fed, and the pasture. You know, but even at a low price, I think, of probably uh, $100 per head, I think that's very low from just Googling them with my uh, experience of Google in the past, you know, five minutes of looking at this. That would be about $2,000 per day just for the, the pasture-fed cattle, which is, uh, you know, when you think about that, that's a large aspect, a large price to be able to pay to be able to have this. Now, if you go, you know, even to our house, we have five people to feed in our house and, you know, uh, three children, two adults, and... Uh, I'm always amazed at when we go to the grocery store, especially when I'm sent to the grocery store to be able to pick things up, and how expensive things get. You go to the checkout, and they, they give you that final number, and you've been doing some calculations in your head, but you've obviously missed you know, that larger box of diapers or didn't account for it that as well. But here, you know, I've never gone to the checkout just to get bread and come out with bread, and it's $600 worth of bread. You know, that would be a lot of bread. Or if ever never got to, you know, get ground beef and then it comes out, well, that's $2,000. And that's only going to last a day. You know, but that's, that's the extent of, you know, Solomon's wealth. And this is what's been provided to him every single day. Now, we have five people to feed. Solomon obviously has a larger amount. Again, it's, it's hard to be able to put a number on this. Uh, you know, some commentaries say about 15,000 people, maybe even 36,000 people is how many people uh, Solomon was trying to feed during this time. But the point of what we see in this passage is that Solomon's wealth is, is quite amazing. To be able to go through all of these fine things every day, day after day, um, you know, he was not only his realm was quite large, but also his, his uh, bank account was quite large. Now, as we've noted before, and as we will continue to see as we go through this uh, story of Solomon, we see some warning signs. There's cracks in even these opening chapters. We'll really understand this more later as we get when we see them not merely as cracks, but as, as great flaws um, in chapters 12 to 9. But, but I think what we see in these early chapters are some of these warning, flag, warning signs, these red flags that are waving. And what you see here in verse 26, I think, is a continuation of how, how much wealth he has, but also these warning signs that you see. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month. They let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where it was re- required, each according to his duty. So why then is this, why would I say this is a warning sign? Now we've seen before as he lists those officials, those 12 groups of people that bring each one, one a month, provide for um, him, there's somewhat of a tax that's put on there. It's after Solomon's death that we'll see later that in chapter 12 where Solomon's putting a burden on the people, carrying a burden that is great. That there's a cost, all these things and this wealth is coming from places. And some of the places it's coming from is the people of God. 
But I think more importantly that this is a warning sign is actually found in Deuteronomy 12, that famous passage about what a king of Israel is meant to be able to do. And here's what Moses warns about this king. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now what we'll see is we'll see these other things appear later, but what we're seeing now is that here he's acquiring it for himself many horses. You see that number there that it points out that here he's got a large amount of horses. And there's a warning specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 17 about doing that. Specifically not horses are not bad. But the warning is that the king will acquire many horses. And specifically there's a warning about going and where you're going to get these horses from. And First Chronicles actually gives us more information. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Q. And the king's traders would buy them from Q for a price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 6,000 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Likewise, through them, these were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So here Solomon is not only acquiring many horses, he is acquiring many horses by going and sending people to uh, Egypt to be able to purchase them. And then he's going on to sell them as well. This is a part of where it's all coming from. So here you see this warning sign that the Solomon is, is, is doing things that he, he shouldn't be doing in Deuteronomy chapter 17, specifically about what a king is meant to be doing. So he's acquiring all this riches and wealth, but specifically what he, we see in this as a warning sign is it comes from uh, the um, coming from Egypt in Chronicles, but also many horses. But also, again, we need to be reminded about the warning that Samuel gave to the people of Israel about what their king would do. That the king, what would they do? They would take, take, take. Here are these, the king who would reign over you, who would take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, and to be horsemen and to run before his chariots. And that's exactly what we see here. We see many uh, 12,000 horsemen. He'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and the commanders of fifty, some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. That's exactly what we see Solomon doing. And to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. So here, not only has he got these provisions to be able to have this flower, someone's going to have to make all of this. And here we see that Solomon is starting to do all these things, these warning signs. Now what we'll see is, I think, as we progress, is we'll see the influence of these treaties that he's made with other nations, specifically Egypt. That here he is carrying on how Egypt might do business, or how Egypt might rule a kingdom. Now there's wisdom in what he does, and you know, a lot of what we see, but we also see these warning signs as well. That this is going to be a large burden that's put upon the the people's shoulders over the course of his reign. We'll see it very clearly when we get to the next king. But lastly, we also see the extent of Solomon's wisdom. This is exactly what the Lord said. Behold, I am now do according to your word. Behold, 
I give you, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has seen before you, and none like you shall arise after you. That's exactly what we see here about his wisdom. We've seen it in his justice and how he's, he's trying to structure his kingdom. But in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 to 34, the author says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Hermon, Kalkol, and Darda, and the sons of Maol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. The people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So we've seen that God grants and says, I'm going to give you this wisdom. We, we find out in chapter 3 that it is wisdom from God. That is where wisdom originates. How much wisdom does he get? He gets as much as there are in the people of Israel. You remember the, the, the reason why he asked for wisdom is because the people are too great, and I am not great. I am not smart enough to be able to do this. And we see that in the play of words here where it says that the, the people of Israel were as many as the sand of the sea. And that's exactly what uh, the Lord did. He gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. And he's compared now to people who are, are clearly known for their wisdom not exactly sure who these specific men are. Uh, there's a list in First Chronicles that gives some of its, these names, but here they're listed as the son of Zira. Um, you see some of those names there: Herman, Calcol, and Dara, Ethan. Um, Ethan's a Ezraite in this um, in chapter in First Kings, so maybe they're named after these people. Maybe these people are whom they're speaking of there. Now, I believe personally that Ezra, the, uh, 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 Ethan, the Ezraite, is the author of um, Psalm 89. So we see there he's uh, wise enough the Lord used him to be able to pen Scripture for us. And it's quite possible that Herman, the second person in that list, is actually the author of Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master according to Mahalath uh, Linoth. A mascal of Herman the Ezraite. And uh, there I think uh, the point is not necessarily who these people are, specifically. It's that here they're known for their wisdom, and yet uh, Solomon surpasses them. Solomon is wiser than they are. But he's extremely wise. Then they go into more details about what he has done, some of his achievements. We're told that he spoke. 3,000 Proverbs. His songs were 1,005. Now again, we try and put this in perspective. It's hard for us when we read numbers like this to be able to gauge. The whole book of Proverbs, although Solomon didn't most likely write all of those Proverbs, all, all of those Proverbs in the Pro Pro book of Proverbs is about 915. So here, 
He spoke many more Proverbs than we actually have recorded. And we maybe, maybe have three songs, two psalms if you attribute uh, two psalms to him. And then the Song of Solomon, if you count that as written by Solomon, if you count that as one song. So here he's he's got an, an enormous amount of achievements in his life during his reign. They specifically speak of his wisdom. But also notice something about where this wisdom comes from, as it comes from God. But it's also based in God's world. You see there, um, when it speaks of what it is, he spoke of trees, of cedar, of Lebanon, hyssop, the groves and the walls, the, breasts, the beasts, the birds, reptiles and fish. Here that you see, and he, he's able to see... The wisdom comes from God, and God has created things, and thus he can look to the world to be able to get and understand wisdom. Proverbs 3 says, The the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heaven. By his knowledge, the depths broke open, the clouds drop of dew. Again, it's not merely that he got given wisdom from God. It is God is wisdom. In God is all wisdom. So therefore, as even he's able to look in creation, he's able to understand God's wisdom in that. That when God created things, he did so, creating things in all wisdom and knowledge. So that we can learn about wisdom through creation. We can learn about the creator through creation. Now, we need to be careful we don't then turn to worshiping the creation But as we understand more about creation, we then understand more about the Creator. One example of how Solomon might have done this is in in Proverbs chapter 6. He says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. And he says, you want to see wisdom? Look at creation. Look at the ant. They're wise. What do they do? They work and they toil and they labor. They put things away that they might be able to eat. When the rain comes... They don't have a chief, officer, ruler. They don't have a king. What they do is they live their life and they're wise, but yet you are not. If you're idle, if you slumber, folding your hands, sleeping, well, what's going to happen? And he's able to be able to look at the ant, look at creation, be able to understand what it is to be wise. Ultimately, if you... You don't work like an ant, you're not going to have food on your table. And I think even the author of Kings points this out when he speaks of the trees, is what Solomon spoke of. The cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall, the beasts, the birds, reptiles, and fish, from botany to biology. He speaks of the greatest tree, or the smallest tree that is so small that it will grow out of a a crack in a wall. 
I'm sure you know someone tried to market this and mail orders to be able to try and get the Encyclopedia of Solomon. But here you see the extent of his wisdom and, and who is credited, who is given glory through all of this. It's God-given wisdom. And what you see in verse 34 is all the people from all nations come to hear the wisdom of Solomon from the kings of the earth who have heard of his wisdom. But you notice something throughout all of this passage that comes up time and time again. The superlative throughout the text. You can't really see it on here, but Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. For he had dominion over all the region, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. He had peace on all sides, all the days of Solomon. And all who came to the king, uh, King Solomon's table, each one in a month. So Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all other men. His fame was in all the surrounding nations. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and all the kings of the earth. And we see here the extent of Solomon's dominion, his wealth, his his wisdom. For there comes a time where there's limitations. That his dominion still has a boundary. There's a place in which he still does not rule. His wealth still has a limit. His wisdom also has some lack. Now my parents have an encyclopedia set that's dated in the late you know, 1800s. Large volumes taking up a couple of shelves on their bookshelf. But when it came to school... We always had limits of this encyclopedia that we could do. You turn to be able to look up flight. It speaks only of the bumblebee, not of airplanes, because airplanes have not been created yet. Or you speak to, to look up wars. Well, you can't write a paper on World War I or Two from this encyclopedia because it hasn't happened yet. Now what we see in Solomon's reign, it is great, but it still has its limits. It still has its bounds. Now as we consider how Solomon rules and reigns as a type of Christ, as we see what Christ's kingdom is going to be like, well, what's Christ's dominion going to be like? As Psalm 72, the royal son that he may have dominion of the sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Or Isaiah chapter 9. For us to a, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here you see that the Christ's kingdom is not bound like Solomon's is. Or in Matthew chapter 24, in this gospel of the kingdom, 
will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And the end will come. Your God, Christ's dominion goes further than just the bounds of Israel. It's the largest capacity. It goes to the ends of the earth. It's limitless, boundless. Secondly, Christ and his wealth. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here you see Solomon taking from the people that he might be able to accumulate wealth and have all of these great things. What does Christ do? Christ becomes poor that we might be able to become rich. But then Christ has this glorious inheritance. As Paul writes in Philippians, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. There's there's no bounds to Christ's riches, and they're abounding and flowing. The riches of his grace that he lavishes upon us. And Christ's boundless wisdom. But these who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ's power of God and the wisdom of God. We're in Romans chapter 11. Of the depths and riches, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. Near Solomon, you you see his his kingdom is glorious. It's, 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 It's tremendous, large in scope, but it has its limits. But yet Christ and his kingdom has no limits. See the extent of God blessing his people, but only as a type and a shadow pointing forward to that Christ who will come, who will sit enthroned. The riches that Solomon gained are not in Solomon's hand anymore. They're squandered, pillaged, stolen. His kingdom, the, the biggest it will be, will shrink. And just in the next generation, actually it will be split in two. His wisdom, we have some of it in the scriptures, but we do not have all of it. His wisdom has limitations too. There's things that we know that Solomon would not have just because we live in a different time. But here I think you see that, that glorious scope of Solomon's kingdom but also that lack of what we're looking for as we look towards Christ and, and look to a king who is boundless in all of these things. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.